0: Welcome to the Mass Bar Beat Podcast, the official podcast of the Massachusetts Bar Association, available free to members of the bar as well as the public, featuring lively discussions about important legal developments, interesting stories about MBA members, and helpful practical information about the law that matters to all of us. I'm your host, Jordan Rich, and today we'll be discussing elder law, such an important topic, with one of the most respected and knowledgeable elder law attorneys around. He is attorney Alex Moschella, chair of the MBA Elder Law Advisory Committee. He and his fellow committee members will soon publish the 2018 Elder Law Update. Well, Alex, it's great to see you again. I say that because we go back a long way. It's
1: fantastic, uh, Jordan, as we talked about today. We started out together almost at the NBA with Tell Law and all those tapes.
0: Actually, seriously, it's been a lot of fun over the years running into you and your reputation as one of the experts in this area is absolutely foremost, and we're thrilled you're here for this podcast today. And what we thought we'd do is just talk about some general things that people should think about. First of all, before we get to that, the population is obviously getting older, and that really creates opportunity, but it also creates a need, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. And all of a
1: sudden, my age group, the baby boomers, I look in the mirror, Jordan, and I say, am I really 70? (laughs) So those of us born from 1946 now, I'm often now the same age as my clients. And that's not only humbling, but I can relate to them in a different way than I was when I was 50. So as we age, we get the 50, the 60, and then when you turn 70, there's a whole host of issues that then surface. And then you know the oldest of the old, they say are ninety plus now. and We also have the hundred year centurion. So mm, mm, aging mm. is it's 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 like booming in ways. The needs are so. Different by the age segment too,
0: and it's so important for people whether they're in that age category or they have parents in that age category to sort of know what topics matter, and that's what we're going to focus on in today's podcast. You've been involved for many years in elder law, and before we get to the first topic, let's talk about what you've been doing with the education programs for the Mass Bar. Just to update people, I'm holding the 2017 Elder Law Education Program booklet, but you're hard at work on the 18.
1: Right, right in front of me now is the update of the eighth edition. So this is the ninth edition. So the MBA in the Massachusetts uh, chapter of the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys, Jordan, has a partnership to bring together the most experienced practitioners in these areas that we cover from A to Z in aging law and elder law to do this terrific resource guide for Elder Law Month in May. And it's one of the most comprehensive guidebooks. As a matter of fact. It's for the lawyers when they go out to speak to the local Council for Aging network mm-hmm. for Elder Law Month in May. But it covers everything in clear, concise consumer language.
0: I was going to say – On every
1: topic that, that's out for there. For
0: non-lawyers, it's really helpful as a guide. And I know a lot of listeners who are – in that baby boomer cusp, as I am, or should be thinking about these things if they haven't already done
1: Precisely, so. and this is written for the consumer, not the attorney.
0: Right, right. So let's begin with some of the basics for the consumer listening, and that is important documents we need to have as we get older, as our needs change. Give us a rundown.
1: Terrific question. I think the number one, and we're not going to say, well, you've got to have a trust because that may depend on your situation. Even a will, you can say, is essential. But I would say my experience. It's a healthcare proxy. In the event you or I become incapacitated, who do we trust enough to be our agent and then a backup person? Because Massachusetts is not a living will state. In terms of by statute, we don't recognize living wills, which I believe is not as empowering as a healthcare proxy. Will you just name someone that if you're incapacitated would know what your wishes are as to uh, end-of-life decision-making or Mm -hmm. how you feel about tube feeding or do not resuscitate orders. So very important document.
0: These are things that are so routine for people who know what they're doing in your field. Oh, precisely. And and getting it done early and just getting it out of the way takes all of the worry out of it and you just know that it's done, right?
1: Exactly, but if you're even admitted to a hospital for an outpatient, uh, an inpatient procedure, Mm -hmm. as well as an outpatient, They will often ask you, do you have a health care proxy? So you want to have that done ahead of time, and it's not a difficult form. Then there's the power of attorney. In the event we're incapacitated, who do you trust to handle your finances for you? Mm. Now, if you have joint accounts, naturally the joint account holder is going to jump in and do things. But there's so many situations, Jordan, that I've experienced where someone becomes ill and you need that power of attorney, even to help with the sale of a house or go to a bank to access funds. And also, you got to be careful because if you name the wrong person, they can rip you off.
0: Exactly. And also, the idea of updating or taking a look at your various documents is important because, as you say, things change. Precisely. Uh, so it's a good idea, even if you just have a, a note in your calendar, call attorney X or Y to at least examine what we have. Yes, especially if there's a
1: death of a spouse or any change in your personal family situation, a remarriage, or something happened, God forbid, to uh, a, a child or a family member. Or just looking at it. And you might say every two to five years is the window where you want to look at your documents. And did you want to go through some of the other documents? I would love
0: to, please. And you've got a, a, a nice, concise list here, please. Uh,
1: well, the other is everyone feels as though I must have a will. God forbid I don't have a will. Mm. So I think it's important to just talk about the probate process. The only time, Jordan, you really need a will is when the last to die and when you have property in your name alone. So if you have a joint bank account or uh, you own real estate with a, with a spouse or you have a trust those are all non-probate assets because the name on that document is not yours alone. The, the public often gets confused, well, I've got to have a will. Yes, it's important to look at a will and it's an essential document, but you want to look at how your property is titled, who the beneficiaries are with IRAs or qualified plans mm. because those are non-probate assets. Those don't pass according to the will. So people get confused sometimes and say, oh, my God, something's going to happen. I'd say, well, if you have a life insurance policy, who are the beneficiaries? Makes sense. Non-probate asset. Right. Doesn't pass under a will. You have accounts. Uh, you have IRAs. Who's the beneficiary? So that's an important distinction. And then there's the use of a trust, which avoids probate. And that's an excellent vehicle to have a trust where upon your death, everything can pour over to a trust, or you could have a living trust, where you're alive.
0: I know there are two very important terms when it comes to trusts, And since you're here, I'll have you define them clearly, revocable and irrevocable.
1: Very important to understand, Jordan, and also very confusing. Mm -hmm. Revocable, or revocable, as you said, we pronounce it two ways, um, means that you can change it any time you want. And you control it. You can be the trustee. You don't give up any control, but you give up the asset protection from creditors. And it doesn't help to protect things from that nursing home where I see that a lot in elder law. Someone will come to me and say, how do I protect my house? How do I protect that bank account I've set aside for a grandchild or a niece or nephew? That's where you have to and must use an irrevocable trust, which means you can never change it. You give up control to an independent trustee. And then you have different beneficiaries. You may be able to, in some circumstances, to get the interest on that money, Jordan. But you've got to give up control of the principal to protect it from uh, mass health if you were to enter a nursing home. <clears throat> and oftentimes, if you want to be aggressive to get that five-year clock running, which is that disqualification period when people say, Oh, my God, a nursing home is 15000 a month. What can I do to protect things? The famous look
0: back. The famous look back. That we hear so much about. Yes. This is, by the way, so important for people listening in. If you haven't addressed this or thought about this, or if you have elder parents and they haven't done anything about this, think very closely because you've seen, I'm sure in your experience, Alex, devastation to a family because they didn't plan ahead when nursing home costs erupt, right?
1: Yes, and also what's sad also, Jordan, is that and I think there's a lot of misleading advertising out there in the um, the radio, which um, as a lawyer I sometimes get very concerned about because it doesn't give the public full information, is that when there's a healthy spouse at home, you want to protect that assets because you might have a spouse whose husband is in their 70s with Parkinson's, Alzheimer's disease, some other form of a debilitating uh, illness, and I've seen the whole spectrum of them, that create a very, very significant crisis where that healthy spouse who's in her 70s has to hold on to all the assets. So we try to be as creative as possible to use what's called a Medicaid-compliant annuity to convert funds to an annuity that has to comply with certain rules. And these Medicaid mass health rules are very complicated in terms of figuring out where they're changing, the nuances The state is making things very difficult, Jordan, in that line of work.
0: And that's why you have to continually update the package that we have in front of you. And that's why uh, in May, a very important month, and you'll hear more about it through the Mass Bar Association's outreach. There are so many things, and we don't have a lot of time, but I want to cover a few of them. You just sort of talked about asset protection. What about long-term care insurance that I know a lot of people who are lucky enough to have it early on and pay less because they're younger and healthier are very happy they have it. Is it still a viable option for those entering retirement years for some?
1: That is such a vital important, and the landscape has totally changed, Jordan. There's a Wall Street Journal article that our review committee for this guide we do Mm -hmm. every year has looked at carefully where a number of the major providers of long-term care insurance are getting out of the business because the claims are so great the underwriting features have changed so much that they're giving some premium holders triple and quadruple premium increases so they can't afford it and they cancel it. So you've got to be very careful. I have um, mixed feelings right now about the kind of situation that a family can afford long-term care insurance on. Mm. So it's something where you have to have a trusted financial advisor who can shop around. You've got to look at your own personal situation And take a look at affordability, the quality of the carrier, and these new hybrid policies where it's tacked on a life insurance. So our generation baby boomers are a little bit reluctant to be moving towards long-term care insurance as they were several years ago. Mm. A whole new landscape around long-term care insurance.
0: And I know that financial planning is a particularly important issue when it comes to retirement and people in their elder years but are there other things such as reverse mortgages, the Homestead Act, that people just should in general be aware of even if they don't have a vigorous portfolio that they're working on?
1: Oh, Incredibly important because um, I think reverse mortgages have a bad rap. They have been so heavily regulated now Mm. and over the past five years They can be an excellent vehicle for many families I see that are cash poor and house rich. And they're sitting on all this equity. They want to stay in the home. They may need that money to provide home care services or to help with debt payment. So a reverse mortgage in the right situation for someone uh, 62 years and older can be an excellent vehicle. Mm -hmm. And again, you just have have to have the information information. And we have a chapter on that in that elder law guide that we're working on that really is very good, covers all the key points.
0: Another issue that we didn't talk about prior to coming on the air to do this podcast is the issue of driving people who are elderly, getting mom and dad to understand that driving is not a good idea. They, they're they not safe out there on the roads for themselves and for others. Do you advise people on that score, and if so, what what can you help us with?
1: Uh, There's no more difficult area for a son or daughter than to take the keys away from mom or dad, and never should they be the one to do that because you're going to be nailed to the cross as the bad guy. (laughs) Absolutely. You're taking away their independence. Uh, Physicians are mandated where if there is medical reasons where some cannot drive, they have to notify the Registry of Motor Vehicles. But the tough calls are where there is a diagnosis of dementia or Alzheimer's or some medical condition where they know the parent or loved one is having problems Mm. or accidents. And um, there are driver safety education programs where you can get training and certified to see if you can get a certificate that you fit to drive. But oftentimes the only solution is to notify Registry of Motor Vehicles, Mm. which doctors are mandated to do or should do, but are reluctant to do, and the kids are caught in the bind. Yeah. Most of the time they mediate and negotiate with their parent, we'll we'll drive you, but give us the key. And they say, I just got to see the car. Yeah. Don't take the keys. Leave them in the drawer.
0: I know that the Beth Israel Hospital has a very a good program now. Yes, it does. Uh, among other local area hospitals to, to really address this issue. But I'm sure it's something that in meetings that you have with clients and, and their children, this comes up comes up often.
1: (laughs) There are special training programs on it. And also in this resource guide, we have a chapter on elder driving, which spells out the states that have certain restrictions, what the state law is in Massachusetts. In your
0: years doing this, uh, obviously you've found it very fulfilling. I just want to get a personal thought here. You've been able to help people not starting out, but ending up, in a sense. And, you know, having their fruitful years in, at, the, at the back end really matter. Are you happy you made this choice? Um, Jordan, as I approach the twilight of my
1: career... Um, <laughs> I think you're far from that, but that's okay. <laughs> I, I really am humbled by the joy and satisfaction you can get from having uh, these families take you into your, co- into your confidence around the options uh, they should understand as they may go through some medical crisis or some unforeseen diagnosis. And many parents and their children sometimes are in conflict around issues that you can sort them out in a way that's very rewarding. Mm. We're not litigators in a sense. We're more uh, social work, mediators, conciliators, trying to do things that are fostering independence And there may be a conflict with the kids sometimes. And our loyalty is to that elderly client,
0: Mm.
1: not to the children who we we embrace to have in the room. But you really got to respect a person as they age because we're in a very ageist society. I think you're right. I've turned 70. (laughs) When you turn 60, people are going to say they they label the number.
0: And I think you're, you're right on target with words like respect and sensitive. Autonomy. and I, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what people ultimately are looking for. They've had their dignity as adults. They've been treated with respect, you know, assuming they've been law-abiding, hard-working people. And all of a sudden, just because they have gray hair and they're not working anymore, why shouldn't that still happen? So going forward in terms of the industry, or not the industry, but going forward in terms of the arm of the law, elder law, I'm sure there are good people coming up through the ranks that have that sense of sensitivity and heart.
1: Well, I think they are there. And those of us that have paved away earlier in our career, we see a great enthusiasm where through the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys, the Massachusetts chapter of the National Academy of Attorneys has uh, close to 1,000 members, mm. the education programs, the websites. You just need to be sure you're talking to an experienced, competent Elder Law Attorney. We even have a certification, certified elder law attorney.
0: And the Mass Bar Association, for which you've been part of this team since uh, day one, it seems, has been very much focused on this. And tell us again, in in May, I mean, obviously it's a a little early here, but it's a good idea to plan early. The ninth edition's coming out of the Elder Law Guide, but uh, there'll be other activities, I understand, through the month. Uh,
1: Yes, it's it's National Elder Law Month, but in Massachusetts, um, the Mass Bar in this uh, Mass Chapter Elder Law Attorney produces this guide, Jordan, and then we go out to, through the Councils of Aging, there's one in every city and town in Massachusetts. So we try to match up an experienced elder law attorney with that local Council for Aging right. to do a talk based on the guide. So the Council for Aging has these guidebooks to give out. The lawyer speaks to certain topics of interest. Right. Throughout the state. So it's great. It engages all the lawyers in that process.
0: And and doing this podcast and having you on as a guest is so wonderful, first of all, to see you again, but also to help spread the word that this is coming up and that there's a real link between the community, the legal community and the elder community. And we're fostering more of that strength and that link, which is great.
1: Yes, it's really information dissemination, you know, and outreach.
0: Last question I have for you is, what's the uh, secret? Do you have a, a magic elixir somewhere, or a genie? That Because you look exactly <laughs> the same. I met this man 38 years ago, roughly, and uh, you have not changed much at all. Just a deeper tan, which is very nice. Oh,
1: thank you. <laughs> well, I've learned from my elder clients when, if I was to say, what have you learned about aging well? Yes. Uh, my message is um, avoid social isolation. Mm. And it's very hard when a A spouse uh, passes. You need to stay engaged with family, friends, career. I mean, I think you got to just keep on doing as long as you can do. Right. Because when you don't have that sense of relevance, purpose, and you can do it in many ways, through volunteering, through your family, through reading. But you have to somehow have something you love, something to do, and something you believe in. And I've seen so many elders, Jordan, who then get isolated, depressed, and then the immune systems break down. Mm -hmm. People who've retired too early, they've lost a spouse, and they don't have family support, and it's a downward spiral. I mean, some of the other diseases that come up, we can't control, and you've got to deal with those Mm -hmm. early-stage Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, um, heart-related problems. All of those medical conditions, we're in a great center to be able to access the best medical care, so we should be able to deal with those unforeseen medical diagnoses.
0: Well, thanks for imparting not just the legal knowledge that you have so well crafted, but the knowledge about life. <laughs> you're a great you're a great friend and a wonderful ambassador for the Elder Law attorneys. Alex Marcella, thank you.
1: It's kind of you to say that and we have a remarkable friendship forever.
0: Attorney Alex Mashala has been our guest. If you want to know more about the work he and his committee is doing, visit MassBar.org. You've been listening to the Mass Bar Beat podcast, available free at MassBar.org and downloadable on most popular podcast platforms, including Apple, SoundCloud, Google Music Play, and more. If you're a consumer and you need some legal help, contact the Mass Bar Association's lawyer referral service by calling 866-627-7577. That number again, 866-627-7577, or visit masslawhelp.com. Please let us connect you to a lawyer today. Mass Bar Beat, produced by the Massachusetts Bar Association. We invite you to subscribe so you'll never miss a beat. This is Jordan Rich, thanking you for listening.